1: Today's episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that are as cute as they are comfy. And ladies, these are designed for workouts and your everyday life. Just pick your size and your style, and you'll never have to think about what's in your panty drawer again, because badass women need panties that live up to our adventures. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. What up, people? And we have FBG Kristen. Hey. And so this is part two of our interview with Whitney English. I thank you guys so much for coming back. If you listened to the episode before and you're like, oh my God, I need part two because I just listened to part one. Yes, this is part two. She is a fantastic guest. She really knows her stuff. Kristen and I gave her a whole bunch of questions and she had great answers. To them. She's all about the science, guys. So that's what this is all about, science. But we're also, we were talking about in this episode about food photography and we were talking about Instagram and stuff like that. And so I wanted to talk to you guys about etiquette and you know take pictures of your food and your meals and what do you think about that
0: so people have strong opinions about this. They do. I wouldn't even say we re- ran something on Fitbottom to Eats. I have to find that post. But it was like, I think they like asked people like, is it rude or is it not rude? Does it annoy the server staff or, you know, and uh, it annoys a lot of people. And I kind of get like, hold on, let's stop life so I can, you know, take a photo or I'm a chef and I created this, you know, specifically to be eaten when it was brought to your table. And then you spent five minutes getting the lighting right and moving around so that you got the perfect. For picture picture when really you should be enjoying it and I am not someone who I certainly do not take like a ton of photos of my uh, meals by any stretch of the imagination but I do find that if I'm at a new restaurant or especially if it's a special occasion or I'm on vacation I will almost always take pictures of my food because I feel like I love food so much and usually we you know especially on vacation, we'll take time to research where we want to go. Um, it's not like we're just like popping in a place we like drive by, like we're looking at Yelp reviews and going to a place that's really good. And that is part of my memory. You know, that's part of my trip. That's part of my life in that moment that I do want to look back on and be like, Oh yeah, we had those awesome fish tacos in Morro Bay back in, you know, mm-hmm. a few years ago. Remember how cool that was? And sometimes food is just like so beautiful and bright with different colors that are the lighting's really good and I'm like oh that makes such a great shot and I don't always usually unless I'm taking over like the um fitbottom eats instagram account at Eats. yo unless I'm like sharing stuff there you know I'm not sharing those pictures like on my personal facebook um, and instagram and stuff like that on my my personal social media but I'm saving it for myself because it's just a delicious moment that I want I want to remember and I don't care if that makes anyone mad when I take my photo.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I I think it's really interesting because um, I sort of try to know who I'm with and where I am when I decide whether or not I'm, you know, going to be doing the food blogger thing. Because if I'm in a dark restaurant, I just don't bother. It the pictures are going to look terrible. I don't I don't worry about it. But if I'm on like a press trip and going to that specific restaurant for that meal is part of the experience Then I might get a little high maintenance about it because that's part of my job, you know, um, like I might, and often I'm there with other bloggers and journalists. So we're helping each other out like, Hey, you light from this side and I'll take the picture here and, and then I'll share it with you and whatever. But yeah, when I'm, when I'm just out as like, you know, a regular person, not, not working, not somewhere because I'm covering it for, for a story or anything, I, I just sort of play it by ear. Like if it's, if I've got good lighting and a beautiful meal in front of me, then yeah, I'll, I'll probably snap a picture. Or if it's something really like weird or interesting or like I, I went to the farmer's market a couple days ago for lunch and ended up getting this pizza with blistered shishito peppers on it and some sweet corn. And I mean, it was like a non-pizza type of pizza, but it was delicious and really interesting. So I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to take a picture and share that and see see what people have to say about it.
0: I um, had food envy of that. I was like, I, I want to eat that. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, it was really cool. And you know, I had a friend who was like, um, you don't eat Hawaiian pizza, but you eat that. And I'm like, oh no, I love pineapple on pizza. So it started a, an interesting discussion, which I would love to know how you guys feel about pineapple on pizza. I think it's fantastic, but I know not everybody
1: that's a big that no. It's a, like it. no um, a um, oh! it's a hard no for me. I'm a New Yorker. It's a hard no for me.
2: So anyway, um, but I also have gotten much pickier about what pictures I will take and share. Um like I said, I don't take them in dark restaurants because they just they don't look good. I don't take a whole lot at home and share them unless it's for some sort of story or um like when I do the the Insta story on Fit Bottom Girls usually, you know, once once a week or once every other week. Um, a lot of times I'll just kind of share a recipe that I'm making. So yeah, that's not going to be like high quality, fashion grade photography, but you're going to see what I'm actually making as I'm making it. And I think that's kind of fun in and of itself. But I also, if I had like a softbox and a whole system for like shooting things and making it really pretty beyond my little, I mean, I currently have a like white poster that I sometimes set up if I'm really trying to get a good shot, um, I might do a little bit more
1: see I only I don't really take photos of my like daily meals because I just I think people would be instantly bored because I kind of eat the same stuff every day or at the same time but when I go out to eat if it's really special I like to take a picture of it because like you said I like to mark the moment and then I happen to be I'm very lucky I'm friends with people who are amazing cooks and chefs and pastry chefs and so every once in a while we get together and hell yeah I'm taking a picture and I'll even make a little video of all of my images like what did for Easter this past weekend and yeah I mean but that's yeah yeah I mean you had some
2: great pictures that was so cool
1: that was so much fun so yeah it's a part of marking the occasion to me because like like my friends they put a lot of time and effort my friend made like the uh Peter Rabbit cake and then she made an Easter lamb cake and one was like red velvet and one was carrot cake and she all the icing and everything like I feel like they put so much time and effort into it like I should that's part of marking the moment is taking a picture of it, right?
2: Yep. yep. So wait, was the red velvet cake like the armadillo cake in, was it steel magnolias? Kind of like that, like, yeah. Where you cut it in and then it's like red. Yeah, inside. exactly. I just took that to a morbid place, but I bet it was
0: delicious.
1: <laughs> it was. It was so tasty. And then she took the coconut and she dyed it green, so it looked like grass. It was so cool, you guys. It was. It was. It was delicious. And she put. Wow. And she put a lot of time and effort into it. So yeah, it, it, of course I'm gonna do it then. But like I said, I don't. I'm not one of those people who takes a picture of every salad that I make for myself or something. I just. I think that's incredibly boring.
0: <laughs> and I do think it's a compliment. Like if I make something for someone or we have someone over for dinner and they're like, stop, let me take a photo. They're taking photos absolutely. Of their food. I'm like, dude, this man. Good job. <laughs> like, this is great. Awesome.
1: All right. So I say we just go right into our interview with Whitney. What do you guys say? Part two.
0: Yeah. Part two.
1: Remember this episode is sponsored by Love My Skivies, a monthly subscription service for undies that we absolutely adore. Ladies you got to check them out at lovemyskivies.com Okay, that's L-U-V-M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S.com. And for being a listener, you can even save 25% off your first month. Just enter the code FBG, that's for Fit Bottom Girls, FBG, at checkout, and you're good to go. Again, that's lovemyskivies.com L u v. M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S dot com. Whitney English Tobai is a registered dietitian nutritionist, certified personal trainer, and founder of the website YouTube channel, Whitney E.R.D. Whitney's mission is to help readers make educated decisions about the food they eat by providing evidence-based information on popular nutrition topics and sharing healthy original recipes that fit her predominantly plant-based nutrition philosophy. She's been featured in outlets such as Good Day LA, Bon Appetit, People, Today's Dietitian, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Men's Help, Shape, Reader's Digest, and many more. When she isn't whipping up healthy meals in her wits kitsch, she can be found soaking up the LA sun with her pup, Mr. Chow. She is here today to talk about all sorts of nutrition topics. Welcome back to the show, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show again. This is FBG Margo going on the line today. We have FBG Kristen. Hey, guys. And Kristen and I enjoyed talking to you so much that we had to have you back on the show again. So thank you so much for agreeing to do that. And we have a bunch of questions for you. Are you just ready to go? Absolutely. Let's jump in. So I'd love for you to talk about the keto diet because I have a lot of friends who talk about keto. They're all about the keto right now. Can you talk a bit about what exactly that is and if there's any kind of science to it? Sure. Yeah. The ketogenic diet
3: is very popular right now, especially in like the health and fitness um, arena, but it really originally started as a treatment for epilepsy in children. So it's actually a therapeutic diet and it helps to stop seizures. And it's extremely effective at at this treatment, but being used for other purposes like weight loss, and now they're starting to explore using it for neurodegenerative diseases. This is all relatively recent, I would say like in the past 10 years or so. And the basic premise of the ketogenic diet is it's a four-to-one-to-one to one macronutrient ratio. So you're getting about four grams of fat for every one gram of carbohydrates and one gram of protein. And essentially what that does is puts your body into what's called ketosis or nutritional ketosis. And it's where your body is burning fat for fuel instead of glucose. And it basically requires a very, very low amount of carbohydrates. So like I said, the four one one ratio. And many people end up, when they're just doing this casually, not for a therapeutic reason like for epilepsy, a lot of people just take this as, okay, I'm going to eat a high-fat, high-protein diet and low-carbohydrates. And that can get you into a state of ketosis. However, it doesn't necessarily have the same benefits as the ketosis that you would enter if you were, say, fasting, um, which which results as um the result of decreasing calories overall. And so a lot of the research out there does not show that the long-term benefits of of a ketogenic diet for weight loss specifically are any different than any other diet. So initially people really lose a ton of weight doing doing a ketogenic diet. And that's pretty much because when you cut out carbohydrates, you lose a ton of water weight. And this is for two reasons. One reason is that your muscles store glucose, which is what's found in carbohydrates. It's your body's preferred source of energy. It stores it in the muscles as glycogen. And glycogen also stores water with it. So for, I I think it's like every one gram of, I I may be wrong, but like (laughs) every one gram of um, glycogen, your body's storing like three grams of water. So if you really store a lot of water because of this. So the second you stop eating carbohydrates, your body loses all that water immediately, and that can result in like a five pound weight loss right there. Um, And then secondly, is that when you're eating large amounts of protein, your body has to get rid of the nitrogen that's found in this protein. So the amino acids have nitrogen attached to them. And when your body breaks them down, it, it gets rid of them in the urine. So the more nitrogen you have to excrete, the more urine you're excreting, the more water you're losing. And so that's why when people start a ketogenic diet for weight loss, immediately they're like, this is awesome. It's working so well. I'm losing so much weight. But you're mainly losing water weight. And then, like I said before, the long-term two-year studies that I've seen, and that's about the longest that we we have on the ketogenic diet for weight loss, show that it's no no different no, the benefits
2: are no different than any other diet. So, with with all of this water weight that people are losing, can you talk about how that affects hydration? Does sure, that make yeah. a difference? Absolutely.
3: So, I mean, in in if you saw a clinical dietitian for this, if you're doing it for therapeutic reason, they would absolutely increase the amount of water you were take you were taking in, because you can easily suffer from dehydration
0: due to
3: due to the keto diet. Okay. So if, if you're doing it, you definitely need to be drinking a lot more water. Um, but secondly, so besides the fact that it might not necessarily be beneficial for weight loss, it's probably not beneficial for your health in the long run. So we don't have any like long, long term studies, more than two years outside of looking at weight loss on the overall health, ev- health effects of eating a diet that's very high in meat and animal fat and low in beneficial carbohydrates like your leafy greens and your whole grains, which we absolutely know are associated with less disease. So we just don't know. And uh, to me, it seems a little bit dangerous that to be on a diet like that, unless you absolutely need it for some sort of medical purpose like epilepsy.
2: Yeah, that makes sense, because that really seems to go against a lot of the things that we just sort of really, really know to be true and good for us.
3: Yeah. yeah. So you got you got to look at the overall patterns, and there are, there are things we know are beneficial, and and things that generally trend towards not being beneficial for our health. And even though we don't have an exact study comparing a keto diet to a plant based diet, for instance, we we look at these trends to kind of determine which one is probably going to be the healthiest overall.
2: Right. So now you mentioned um, something about if you were working with a clinical dietitian. And you, you spoke on your site, um, I think in a video, about the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. Um, and the fact that that's something that seems to confuse people a lot. So I, I wonder, could you explain a little bit about the difference and whether, you know if I'm looking to work with an expert, are there times when I would choose one or the other? Sure. Yeah. So
3: the main difference between an RD and a nutritionist, number one is, is regulation. So the title registered dietitian is a protected title. Um, the term nutritionist in certain states, you have to be licensed to use that and you basically have to be a registered dietitian to use the term nutritionist. But in the majority of states, it's an unlicensed. It's not a protected title. So here in California, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist and there will be no legal ramifications regardless of your level of expertise and yeah and so what really what that means is that you have no idea what someone's training is when someone tells you they're a registered dietitian you know three things you know they have a degree they're a bachelor's or a master's in nutrition you know they've completed a year-long dietetic internship of 1200 hours and that's um over a variety of different dietetics um topics and then they've also had to pass a board certification exam and they also have to keep up with continuing education credits every five years so you that's what you you know that you're getting that with a nutritionist you you really don't know it could be anything it could be a weekend course online it could be a certification through a certified personal training association it may be a longer program, but you, you just don't know because it's it's not regulated. And then secondly, in order to treat chronic diseases, that that is regulated by the law and only registered dietitians are are legally allowed to treat chronic disease. So if if you don't have that that title, you really shouldn't be advertising yourself as being able to help with anything besides general wellness. And I still see plenty of people that are nutritionists that aren't RDs that are advertising that they help with like hormonal balance or PCOS or this or that, and and legally that's that's not okay. <laughs> but unfortunately, we really don't have a lot of a lot of regulation overall, so it, it happens.
1: So let's talk about uh, foods and snacking before and after a workout. Um, when is it okay to have a snack? before a workout or after a workout? Is there some amount of time you should wait? What what do you say? So you don't
3: always have to eat before a workout. That's a common misconception. If you're working out first thing in the morning, then you should be good to go. Your energy stores, that glycogen we talked about earlier, they should be full from um, your dinner the night before. As long as you had like a carbohydrate-rich meal the night before, you're good to go. Um, Anytime you probably aren't going to be working out for maybe an hour or so, then I would say you could have that you could, not necessarily you should, but you could, if you feel like you need it, have a snack. And you always want to have a carbohydrate rich snack before a workout, because like I said before, your body's preferred source of fuel is glucose and that's what is going to help you maximize your endurance during exercise and give your body a quick source of fuel so your body can absolutely use fat for energy and it often it does and the longer you exercise the more your body goes into um using both glucose and fat for energy but initially like when you're doing a sprint or a power lift any any quick movements anything probably in in the early stage of your workout that's going to require something that breaks down very quickly into energy, and that's glucose. So I recommend about an hour before a workout, I would have something like a banana. If you've got a little bit more time, two to four hours, you could have a larger meal, maybe some toast if it's the morning, some oatmeal. But again, you're really focusing on getting in those, those carbohydrates and hopefully choosing a nutritious source like a complex carbohydrate. Um, After a workout, you need a combination of both carbohydrates and protein. So you always hear people talking about having protein after a workout. And it's super important, especially when you're doing any kind of uh, strength training where you're breaking down your muscles, you need to replenish those amino acids that were broken down during your, your workout. So you're going to want to consume somewhere between 15 and 25 grams of protein between 30 minutes and two hours of your workout. So that's the optimal time for muscle protein synthesis. Additionally, I mentioned carbohydrates, and that's because one, you want to replace those glycogen stores that will become depleted during your workout. And then secondly, Um, carbohydrates actually help your muscles use protein more efficiently. So it helps bring the protein into the muscles. So you're going to get the maximum benefit from your protein consumption if you're eating it with a good source of carbohydrates.
2: Awesome. So I have a follow-up to that. Well, we didn't send it over to you earlier. So if you want to pass, you totally can no worries. but I am hearing, I have been hearing actually for the last two or three years, so much buzz about BCAAs. So, Could you tell us a little bit about what those are and whether we all need to be getting more of those? And if so, how you'd recommend getting them?
3: Yeah. So uh, BCAA stands for branched chain amino acid. Um, Those are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And what uh, studies have shown is that leucine has the most muscle protein synthesis building capacity. So it's really important that you get leucine with your protein source after a workout if you really want to get the maximal benefit. Leucine is found pretty much in anything that you're going to find protein in. So certain supplements now will highlight the fact that they add branched chain, chain amino acids in or they have this many grams of leucine, but pretty much anything that you eat, as long as you're having a normal serving of it, you'll you'll probably hit those. So I'm not a huge fan of of supplements, um, especially things like that. I just don't think they're really necessary. I think you can absolutely find them in a whole food source.
2: Yeah, and that leads me to, you know, kind of to a related question is just supplements in general. I'm wondering what your stance is because I know we can get so much of what we need out out of the food that we eat, but are there any supplements that you tend to recommend people take? And, you know, I know that at this point you're in your third trimester, you know, what people need obviously changes with pregnancy. So I'm also curious as to whether that's changed your stance at all.
3: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, my stance is always food first, you know, like you just said, you want to meet your needs through your diet if you can, but as you also just said, there are many reasons why people wouldn't be able to meet those needs. Medical conditions, elderly, pregnant women, and simply having a poor diet will, will make it so that you can't actually meet your nutrient needs. So in those cases, I absolutely advocate for, for supplementation. I mean, if you, if you can't meet your needs in your diet, you need to get them somehow. I'm not going to tell someone not to take supplements. So for pregnancy, for instance, while you probably could meet your needs, It's almost like a safety net that we have these kind of blanket recommendations for pregnant women. So we always want pregnant women taking folate, um, DHA, which is the omega-3 fatty acid found in fish, because we know it's really important for prenatal brain development. You want to make sure vitamin D, iron, and calcium, although... We don't actually recommend calcium supplementation because your body actually, when you become pregnant, starts absorbing calcium more readily. So the the recommendations stay the same as a woman who isn't pregnant. Um, but in those cases, and like for myself, I'm taking a multivitamin and I'm also taking an algae oil DHA supplement, just to make sure that I'm meeting all of my needs, even if I might be hitting them in my diet. But the reason that I don't really recommend supplements across the board is because in some cases, oversupplementation can can be a problem. And at the at the least harmful side of the spectrum, you're just wasting your money. And a lot of the time, we also just don't really know. So I'm really not a fan of non-essential supplements. So things that are not vitamins and minerals. Um, a lot of the the herbs and extracts and And things that just don't have research supporting them. I I typically don't recommend those to my clients ever.
1: Congratulations. You are expecting right now. Thank you. (laughs) So have you had any weird food cravings or anything like that? Or have you changed your diet at all for this pregnancy? I have. I'm typically a sweet person, and I've become totally
3: a savory person. I don't know how to explain it, but, like, I'm constantly craving, like, salty foods and sometimes desserts and sweets, which I normally would gobble up now, make me a little bit nauseous. So I've been eating, like, lots of roasted vegetables, um, popcorn with nutritional yeast. I love pickles. That's not just an old wives' tale (laughs) for some reason. Women (laughs) love pickles when they're pregnant. And cream cheese, that was like one of my first and strongest cravings It's also continued throughout my pregnancy. And because I practice a predominantly plant-based diet, sometimes I would have normal cream cheese, but I really wanted to be eating it more, more often. So I actually found a really great almond-based cream cheese that I've been enjoying that tastes just like normal cream cheese. That's the majority of my cravings. <laughs> nice. And um, thirsty, just being very thirsty all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, Well, you got to drink water for two, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of the dairy-free cheese, I need to find out what the brand was. But um, I was at a a triathlon camp with a friend of mine last weekend. And he, he was making breakfast. And he made us little breakfast sandwiches. And he doesn't do dairy, but he brought out this cheese. And I was like, well, what? what witchery is this and it was so good <laughs> it was um it was a pepper jack cheese and it was almond based
3: Ooh. and
2: it was melty and oh my gosh it was it was so delicious
3: what was um, the brand
2: I'm like tell I me don't know, but I'm gonna <laughs> ask him and I'm gonna tell you guys um because it was really good because I've been you know cutting down or when I can cutting out dairy mm-hmm. and that was such a good option like I would yes. have never known.
3: There are so many incredible options out there now for for dairy-free cheese. It's it's like, it's mind-boggling what they can do with that.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, The one I mentioned is from Kite Hill, by the way.
2: Oh, good to know. Kite Hill. Yes, Kite Hill. Um, So now... On that same topic, you recently att- attended um, Natural Products Expo West, and I think that you saw a lot of really cool food trends, one of which we're probably talking about right now. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, what what trend or what products should I be stocking my supermarket for? And are there any that people need to know <laughs> are coming and that they need to stay away from?
3: Mm-hmm. Um. I'd say this year I saw a lot more plant-based convenience foods, so things that can be frozen and you can eat them later. And a lot of people would immediately associate that kind of stuff with junk food, but I think it's really important for people practicing a plant-based diet to understand that they don't have to make everything from scratch all the time. Like it's just not realistic and when you're busy and you you come home after a long day's work sometimes you just want something that's quick and easy. So it was nice to see a lot of products that are healthy, that are catered to people who don't have time to maybe be in the kitchen all day long. To some of the things that I saw, uh, Hillary's has some really great, they have these like frozen millet Mixes, and so they're like stir fries of um, millet, which is an ancient grain, so it's gluten free, and it's very high in fiber and protein, and it's they have a bunch of different flavors. I have the one that's like a curry mix, and it has raisins in it. And I love using those. Sometimes I'll add some tempeh to it or some, some beans or just eat it by itself. But that's a really great last-minute dinner that you can throw together. Dr. Prager's had some new veggie burgers out that were really good.
2: Those are my favorites. I've got two oh, boxes in my, fr- or in my freezer right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, and so those are like just veggie and bean-based. Um, and I'll say I know a lot of people think – oh, well, that doesn't have enough protein in it for me. It's probably somewhere between five five or so grams. But when you combine that with, for instance, a sprouted whole grain bun that's going to add like 10 more grams of protein, you're absolutely hitting the amount that you should have at, at one meal. So I think people need to rethink rethink that when they're thinking about planning out their meals. And that's a topic for another time. But <laughs> I just thought I would mention that because I know some people might be, Might stray away from a veggie burger, thinking it's not going to provide them with what they need. Some other things that I really liked: Daya has some new burritos out that are absolutely delicious. Again, having those that vegan cheese in there, and Kite Hill, the the brand I mentioned before, has a ravioli which is like so delicious. I I forgot when I tried it that it was dairy free, and I was like, wow, this this really this is um this is amazing. I couldn't believe that it was made with,
2: with almond cheese. I like, I'm so excited to try that. I'm going to hit all the stores.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And it just makes for quick and easy dinners. Um, okay. So then something, some things to be wary of are, I think the majority of the grain, grain grain-free products, a lot of them are super healthy and, and they're great options. But I, what I fear is that consumers will, will choose them simply because they're grain-free. And I don't think that's a good good choice. Um, grains are a very important so- source of the diet. Again, going back to the research and looking at uh, population studies, we know people that eat whole grains have less chronic disease and live longer than people who eat refined grains and people who don't eat them at all. So one, you just don't really want to cut grains out of your diet for no reason. But secondly, is that when they're making these grain-free products, a lot of the time they're adding in tons of cheese and eggs to hold it all together. Um, so like in a cauliflower crust, for instance, you're like, Oh, it's cauliflower. It's really good for you. Um, but the majority of that crust is really made from cheese and that's it's, you'd be much better off with a whole grain pizza crust than you would be with a cauliflower crust, at least if you're eating it on a regular basis. I mean, absolutely. Eggs and cheese can be part of a healthful diet. In moderation but if you're buying all grain free products you really have to think about what they're adding in there to make these products work
1: so you answered my question uh, one of my questions which is about like your favorite foods to use instead of animal-based products which was really interesting so i want to ask you is there or are there any superfood or foods that you think people should incorporate into their diet more often well,
3: I really think all fruits and vegetables are superfoods. They all have so many different, unique benefits. So I always tell people, eat the rainbow, the, because a lot of the time, the color that you see in fruits and vegetables, the pigment is is a phytochemical. And so the different colors have different properties. Um So you really can't go wrong. All fruits and vegetables, maximize them in your diet. They're superfoods. But overall, I would say like cruciferous vegetables. If you're going to pick one thing to eat more of, uh, cruciferous veggies, and that's broccoli, kale, cauliflower, and Swiss chard. It's like the really fibrous, usually dark green vegetables. And those, again, are full of uh, vitamins and minerals, and specifically the phytochemicals sulforaphane, which is a potent antioxidant and anti-cancer molecule.
2: Cool. And I want to add something that um, with the cruciferous vegetables that was a game changer for my husband is when you have something like kale and you're wanting to use that in a salad, massaging it a little so that it's (laughs) like, like tearing it so that you aren't feeding someone the stock that they can't actually eat I know that that seems to people who have been eating it for a long time that seems like well duh Kristen but you know people who haven't been eating these things for a long time and are just trying to incorporate them into their diet you're know, like oh my gosh I can't even chew this how am I supposed to eat it um, so yeah like taking a few minutes and just like literally massaging those greens yes. can make it so much more pleasurable an experience
3: <laughs> totally i have so many clients and and friends who are like oh i don't i don't like kale it's just it's too grassy it's too hard and they just obviously haven't haven't had kale prepared properly i would never eat kale <laughs> unless it had been sautéed or like you said massaged with a little bit of oil and it and it really takes like a good good minute or two of getting in there with your hands and and just really breaking down those fibrous strands.
2: Yeah. So, um, now this is a less serious question than all of the, the scientific stuff we've been getting into, (laughs) but, um, so the, your Instagram account is really fun to follow and the food that you share pictures of there, like it, it looks delicious, but it looks gorgeous And (laughs) yeah, you're welcome. Um, And I know that, you know, some a lot of thought and care, I'm sure goes into that. Um, But a lot of us, even if it's not for work, even if it's just because like, we want to plate a nice, you know, Mm -hmm. a nice meal, and we want to then also maybe take a nice picture of it to remember that we want to be like you. So can you tell us how you take such lovely food photos?
3: Sure. Well, first of all, my food photos have not always been so lovely. It's been many years progression of of learning what didn't work. So don't be discouraged if the first time you try to take some pretty pictures for Instagram, they don't come out well. But my first tip, I, you've probably heard it before, but it is because it is so important. It's like the number one thing that's going to make your photo is good lighting. Um, and the best lighting that you can have is natural light. So from the sunlight, but not direct sunlight. So you want to be by a window, but not with like rays of sun coming in. You would want a, sh- a a window, a curtain that, that lets a little bit of light through it so that you're getting kind of a soft light over, over the food. But obviously that doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone has a great window or can go outside, um, also, you might be cooking at night, which happens to me a lot. And so I actually have what's called softbox lights. So they kind of replicate daylight. And then they also have a, a white screen over the front that that makes it less harsh. So I'll use those if I'm shooting at night. And if I'm shooting at, during the day, I, I have a window in my house that I shoot it by. And for anyone who wants to try this at home, like go explore your house like the window doesn't have to be the one in the kitchen or anywhere that's natural to eat food you that's can go such in your a good bedroom point. you know yeah <laughs> people automatically well my kitchen doesn't have any windows that's not, that's it <laughs> I'm gonna take it in this yellow light um, yeah but yeah just move around like get close to the window that's that's gonna be the best thing and really when you have good lighting the pictures that you'll take on an iPhone, Eight or above, for instance, are almost identical to the ones that I take on my DSLR, if the lighting's good. So you you absolutely don't need a really nice camera either. A really nice camera will help when the lighting's horrible though. Um, my second tip is to actually strive for imperfection in, in food photos. So I've I've noticed recently that my pictures, when they're a little off, like maybe you've got some crumbs on the plate or a bite taken or hands reaching in and grabbing something people like that a lot more than something that looks very staged and static and then lastly is some good editing apps so you can download these on your phone i I like visco and i like lightroom and both of those will allow you to play around with things like the light if for instance it was a little bit darker where you took the picture you can sharpen the picture a little bit you can change the the warmth um I always turn it down a little because when you are shooting indoors, you often have these yellow lights that will, that will give the, the photo kind of um, a yellow tinge, which isn't preferable. So um, those are all, all really important things to do to your picture before posting.
1: Well, I just want to thank you so much. I mean, once again, you just, you answered so many questions and you're, you're so interesting to speak to. I just, I have one more question to ask you if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay, we may have asked you this before, but Whitney, <laughs> what was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview?
3: Oh my goodness. I can't re- I can't believe I forgot that you were going to ask that. Ah, oh good. Ah, shoot. Okay, let me go to my Can I go to my Spotify? Yes, of you course sure can. We're not going anywhere. I can never remember. <laughs> what did I listen to? Now? I was listening to Next Year the Rack Remix by Two Door Cinema
1: Club. Oh, <laughs> very cool. That's a, I well, haven't heard that well, remix. Well, cool. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, thank yeah. thank you so much once again for coming on the show. I think we're gonna have to have you on again. What do you say, Kristen?
2: Well, uh-huh. I did hear her angling for a, for a um, episode three. Yep. So Let's do it. Yeah, make
3: it a monthly a monthly segment. This is the <laughs> oh
2: last <my> guy. <laughs> so fun. Although I guess now we're gonna have to wait until that baby makes its appearance yeah, it's it's coming quickly. So
1: <laughs> love this show. Tell us why in a five star review on iTunes and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay. Well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at com. Find all kinds of Fitbottom goodness online and on social media at Fitbottom Girls, Fitbottom Mamas, Fitbottom Eats, and fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere when you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.